0: As we come to worship today in spite of all that may be going on around us, we hear these great words of encouragement from Psalm 100 that frame uh, our time of worship over uh, this next, uh, this next wee while. There we read, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. Again, we come to worship not as a gathered family this morning. We come uh, scattered very much as as Christians in exile, uh, as it were, in our own individual homes. And yet we're able to come and worship the Lord with gladness as a family because we know that the Lord is God. Even in the midst of, of the coronavirus pandemic and all that that means for us practically week by week, we can come together with thanksgiving. Because the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations, regardless of how difficult our times may be. We're going to spend time together this morning in Genesis chapter 7 and 8, considering in many ways quite a difficult passage of Scripture as we address the subject of judgment. But before we do, let's come together in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, Sovereign Lord, we come before you and give you praise this morning. For you are good and your love endures forever. Lord, we rejoice that your faithfulness continues through all generations. Father, we know how fickle we can be as your children. Lord, we are based so much on our feelings. And Lord, as uh, the days and the weeks go by with uh, the struggle we have over Uh, self-isolation and and being distant from one another Lord our feelings can turn downward very quickly and so Lord we ask that you would have us not base our time of worship together uh, on our feelings but on what we know for we know that you are good we know that you love us and that you are faithful to us because you have made us and we are yours we are your people the sheep of your pasture So, Lord, have us come with gladness before you. And if not with uh, joyful songs altogether, then, Lord, with a a humble and contrite spirit as we come to your word. And, Lord, with, if not shouts for joy in our own home, then, Lord, that declaration of praise as we seek to hear your word and live it out. Lord God, bless us in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our reading this week comes from Genesis chapter 7 and 8. And uh, again, this week we'll be reading a section from these two chapters without uh, reading the whole uh, of both of them. So I would encourage you to take the time, if you haven't done so already, to read through Genesis chapter 7 and 8. You might, in fact, want to just pause this uh, recording just now and uh, and read those two chapters to give yourself a little bit of uh, the background of where we're going and what we're going to be covering in our time together. But we'll read from Genesis 7 verse 6 through to the end of verse 5 in chapter 8. There we read, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean And of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day Noah and his sons Shem and Ham and Japheth and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark, they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens they were blotted out from the earth only noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days but god remembered noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and god made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of a hundred and fifty days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. This is the word of the Lord. If you look at today's culture, you'll see that much has changed over the last 10 or 15 or 20 years. Things that were unacceptable two decades ago are now considered to be perfectly normal. In fact, one of the only things that is unacceptable in today's society is the great sin of judging other people or other things. We have no right to judge anything in our society anymore. Or at least people would say quite often what they're saying in that is that we don't have the right to judge them. They have the right to judge whoever they please. And yet this is the way our society has gone. We're not allowed to be critical. We're not allowed to judge. And so when we come to passages of scripture that deal expressly with God judging someone or a group of people, or in the case of our passage this morning, the whole of mankind, we find that these sections are utterly unacceptable in our modern world. And we can feel the awkwardness of that ourselves as maybe we've spoken with people outside uh, of the the Christian worldview and and we've talked maybe about uh, problem passages or concerns they have about the Christian faith and sections like this come up. What do you do with passages in the Bible where judgment plays a key part? There's much squirming, there's an attempt to shift away from that subject onto something, almost anything else. We don't like to think about the judgment of God falling on men and women because it sounds harsh and it sounds cruel and unnecessary and we don't like talking about it. But nevertheless, these passages are in Scripture and as we look at Genesis chapter 7 and 8, we must understand what judgment is why it's in scripture, and not only that, why we should draw tremendous encouragement from these sections as Christian men and women. It is unmistakable in this passage uh, in Genesis that judgment comes from God, even though it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's very clear that God sends this flood. He has said the flood is his work, that it comes because he is pained at the way the entire world is mired and stuck in sin. And if you remember from the last time we were in Genesis, we had these mighty men of old that had married the daughters of men. We had this picture, as it were, of almost a golden age in mankind where there are mighty men doing mighty deeds. And yet, even in that moment, we have Mankind sliding into sinful decay and corruption. The faithful family of God being weakened as mankind loses its focus on God and lives only for itself, for themselves. Sin is everywhere and in the end there is only one faithful family, one faithful man left and that's Noah. The reason the flood comes is because the sin of the world and sin stands against God, no one else. God judges the world. That's why he says to Noah that Noah will be spared because he is righteous, unlike everyone else. Judgment must come. There is no alternative. In Psalm 29, David tells us that God sits enthroned over the flood. God is in control because the flood comes from him to do his purposes. And ultimately, that is to destroy sin in the world. Let me ask you a question, especially in light of the, the events of uh, recent months. If you had the opportunity to destroy all disease in the world, would you do it? I suspect you would answer yes to that, if nothing else, just to get out of the house, as we've all been confined to quarters, as it were, uh, because of the, the widespread effects of um, of the coronavirus. And yet this is exactly what God is doing. He is destroying Sickness. He is destroying disease from the world for the sake of his creation. And for God's sake, he is wiping away the very thing that causes corruption and decay and damage. Now, when we put it like that, it casts judgment in a slightly different light, doesn't it? There's something interesting in this story that goes beyond the Sunday school uh, pictures we may have in our mind of Noah and the flood and and all of the images that go with that of all the animals packed into the ark and a cheerful, smiling Noah. In verse 5, we're told yet again, that Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. It's repeated four times in chapter six through to eight. And in that we find Noah is doing exactly what the Lord has commanded him to because Noah knows that the flood is the Lord's doing. It is his work and his obedience is tied directly to the knowledge that God is in control. And if God is going to spare him, Noah must do what the Lord has commanded him to do. God tells Noah to build the ark and to get into it. Noah doesn't take any other course of action. He doesn't do as he sees fit. He does what he is told in obedience. Because he knows God sits over this judgment. And there's no need for us to be ashamed of stories like this. Or the coming judgment of mankind that God promises will come at the end of all things in his word. It's not our place to decide whether these things are good or right. Or to question whether God is in control of them. He says he is. What we need to do is live in obedience to God's word, knowing the day is coming when judgment will fall. And when it does, if we're not living in obedience to God, we will come under that full and final judgment of his. Secondly, we need to see that we must trust in God's word in the face of judgment. When we don't trust in God's word, we might live it out. But there might come a day when we don't think it's necessary. Destruction came to the world all those millennia ago and the only ones to be saved were those who had heard God's word and trusted it was true, living in obedience to it. Now we can talk a good game about loving God's word as Christians, but the true test is whether we trust it. Do we trust God when he says we're to love him to the exclusion of all others? Do we trust him when he says we ought to live lives of genuine holiness, not lives we think are good enough and so on? And thirdly, we see there's an urgency to these things. We read in Luke chapter 17, Jesus' words that before the flood, people were living their lives as they saw fit, never worried for a moment about any coming destruction. They had all the time in the world because everything carries on the same as it does before. And Peter talks about that in Second Peter chapter 2. People say all the time, everything just runs on without end, nothing changes. The end of the world and God's coming judgment won't ever come. So don't worry, live your life the way you want. We shouldn't shy away from passages of judgment in God's word because it helps us to understand our place. And it helps us to understand how we ought to live in light of all that God has said and done. And so as we turn to this passage, we see how we're to live in light of God's Judgment in times past in Noah's day and judgment that is to come in the future. And we find great encouragement in God's word. Because in the judgment of the earth, we find that God sees Noah in verses 1 to 5 uh, of chapter 7. Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. This doesn't simply mean that God notices Noah is a good man in an evil world. When the Lord sees people in the Old Testament, it usually involves something deeper on the part of God. When Hagar flees from Sarah in Genesis chapter 16, the Lord tells her to return to Abraham's household and the Lord will provide her with a son who he will bless. And Hagar called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God who sees. Abraham does exactly the same thing when he is called upon to sacrifice Isaac, but in the end the Lord provides a ram at the last moment so that Isaac's lives may be spared and yet the sacrifice may still be given. The Lord sees. The Lord provides for his people before judgment in order that they will endure through what is to come regardless of how unbelievably difficult that future judgment may be. In Noah's case, the Lord sees and provides a way for Noah to be spared the judgment that's to come. This is the grace of God at work. The seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3 is spared destruction because the Lord provided. And following on from the Lord providing salvation for Noah, he also orders that seven pairs of all clean animals should be brought into the ark. Now, this is in part to keep the animal kingdom alive after the flood is over. But Also, so that Noah will have something to give to the Lord as an offering in worship and thanksgiving, which Noah does at the end of chapter 8. The Lord knows that Noah will be the kind of person who will want to worship him because he's righteous. And the Lord provides so that Noah is able to worship even in the face of judgment. The Lord holds nothing back from Noah so he can glorify God. Now Moses is reminding the people of Israel as they wander in the wilderness that even though they are going through a time of trial and judgment, that the Lord still sees them. The unfaithful older generation will ultimately be weeded out before they enter the promised land for their unfaithfulness. But the Lord is still providing for the nation so that they will enter into that promised land. It doesn't matter how hard things get, how long the journey will be, how big the obstacles are that are in their way through the Lord's provision on their behalf. They will succeed because it is all for the glory of God. And so the Lord will hold back nothing from them to see that goal accomplished. Noah received grace from God. He was provided for and he was spared. And so it will be for them. And so we can begin to see how even in the face of difficult passages of Scripture, judgment passages, we can find great encouragement for Christians. The Lord sees before judgment comes. You are seen, you are known, you are provided for by the Lord before final judgment comes. But also in the face of the ongoing judgment of God in our world today. God is constantly judging the world by giving it over to its own sinfulness. Giving it what it wants. And what does our world want? It craves satisfaction. There is a great yawning gulf in the life of every man and woman that we need to fill. And so we consume everything, anything to the umpteenth degree. And all it results in is greater suffering, a greater hunger and thirst for another thing, a bigger thing, a better thing that will fill this void in our lives. And it only leads to our misery as we realize nothing will ultimately fulfill us. And ultimately, it results in a greater slide into the sinful rejection of God, the one who we hate, even though we deny his existence because he hasn't satisfied us in the way that we crave in the way that we were made to be satisfied for by him in the beginning. And in the face of the evil of our days, the Lord sees and he provides for his people so that they will stay the course that they will be able to persevere through hard times, incredibly difficult times, knowing that because the Lord is faithful to us, so we are able to be faithful to him. We are seen by the Lord before judgment. The second great encouragement in this story of judgment is that Noah is not just seen by the Lord, but also saved from the flood not just him, but his family and and the promises of God that have been made to Eve to deal with sin and to deal with Satan. This is A theme that we simply can't get away from in Genesis, this idea of the seed that will come to deal with sin and save mankind. It's a thread that runs all the way through. And the promise of God to provide that son of Eve must be carried through if God is to be faithful to his word and and to be the God the Bible claims him to be. Noah was 600 years old when the flood came upon the earth, we read in verse 6 of chapter 7. And what is pictured is almost literally creation undone. This is how cataclysmic the flood is. We we see twice in this chapter the phrase, after seven days, the flood waters came. And I think this is a mirror of the creation story where creation is carried out by God. And on the seventh day, he rests from all that he has done. In a sense, he enjoys all that he has made on that seventh day. And here in chapter 7 to 8, we find that the earth is scoured clean after seven days have passed. In the beginning, God separated out the waters above and the waters below the surface of the earth and drew out the dry land. And now, after seven days, his hand withdraws and all of that water cascades back together, drowning everything and everyone, only Noah His wife, his sons and their wives and the animals are spared, bobbing far above it, all by the grace of God in the ark. They go through the whole experience, but are spared from that experience of judgment, saved from it by God's grace. The Russell Crowe film, Noah, that came out a number of years ago, um, has a great many things to um, to go against it in terms of its adherence to uh, to scripture. It's not a film that I would particularly recommend uh, watching, but it is an interesting film. And, and if nothing else, for one part in it, and it's when the family of Noah are gathered in the ark, the floodwaters are rising. They haven't quite reached their peak yet. And as they gather around, all they can hear outside are people crying for help. They've realised that there is nowhere for them to flee. The floodwaters aren't going to stop rising. And there is a picture with the ark in the background and, and a mountaintop poking up out the waters of the sea with a vast number of people desperately clinging to the rock, crying out for help, before finally one huge wave comes over and washes the mountaintop clean and all of mankind is gone. Noah, you can see in in that moment depicted in the film, is is struggling with, with that experience. They go through the experience, but it doesn't claim them. It doesn't touch them as it does the rest of mankind. Because Noah and his family have gone into the ark and the Lord has shut them in, verse 16 tells us. There is a finality, a security about that phrase, isn't there? It wasn't Noah's cleverness and preparation that saved mankind. It was the Lord in every detail. Noah did as the Lord commanded him and the Lord closed them in to the one place of safety on the whole earth. And then the flood waters rise for 40 days. Now, as Moses tells the people of Israel this, they can't help surely but see themselves pictured here adrift, not for 40 days, but for 40 years the Lord has nonetheless shut them in. They may feel unsafe. They might feel fearful. They might begin to lose hope because this journey is going on without end and it is only getting worse and worse and worse. But they are as secure as Noah and his family were. And once those 40 days are over, Noah is heading towards the promise of dry land. Now, it will take some time to get there. They're in the ark for a full year. But the people of Israel will one day come to that promised land if they will continue to trust in the salvation of the Lord and not in their own wisdom. The salvation of the Lord will carry them through safe and secure. Their own wisdom will only lead them to destruction. Now, we may well feel unsafe and fearful in our present day. Coronavirus has our nation frightened uh, that we may get sick, that we may die. And aside from that, we may feel genuinely concerned about our spiritual health when we fail the Lord or we struggle to maintain a life of discipleship as we know we ought to, as we would, as we would desire to. But in this passage, we hear that the Lord saves to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews says in, in Hebrews chapter 7, judgment doesn't touch the children of God. Yes, it may go on all around them, But they will never slip from God's hands. Nothing will happen to them without God being right there alongside them. And where that is, where God is with them, is the safest place for them to be. And in the end, even should they die as a result of the circumstances going on around them, he will raise them up to be with him in perfect glory forever. And there is no greater hope for us, especially in days of a pandemic such as we're facing. There is no place for the Christian to fear death, sickness or or loss or lack as a result of what's going on because where we are with God is the safest place for us to be. He provides, he blesses, he heals, he restores, he builds up, he equips in every way. And in the end, when life does come to its conclusion, we are raised up to be with him. As Paul says in Romans no one can lay a charge against God, God's elect. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is nothing to separate us from him. So let us lean not on our own understanding in our current times, but lean on the Lord and trust in him because he will carry us through. We're encouraged in the face of judgment to see that we are seen by the Lord. We're also encouraged That we are saved by the Lord through judgment. The third encouragement for us in this story of judgment is that we are led to worship by the Lord after judgment. In chapter 8, we're told that the Lord remembers Noah in the ark. Now, that doesn't mean he's forgotten Noah and his family while he was busy doing something else. This is something that I'm very familiar with. When uh, every day an alarm goes off on my phone to remind me I need to go and pick up uh, the girls either from nursery or for school. That's the kind of appointment you only forget once uh, and then you, you never forget ever again after that. But I am terrible for remembering things when I'm focused on something, I'm completely consumed by it and everything else goes out the window, but not so with the Lord. The Lord remembering Noah means uh, that God has made a promise to Adam and Eve that he would produce a son of theirs to be the saviour of the world and he will keep that promise. Matthew Henry comments that those who remember God shall certainly be remembered by God. And with that in mind, God remembers Noah, the seed of the woman, part of that line that will ultimately result in Jesus. As Noah clings to God, so God clings to Noah. The flood waters recede, and God leads his people out of the ark. And God draws Noah out of the ark into a new creation. We've had this episode with Noah sending out after the rain has ceased, sending out birds to to see if there is dry land. They're on a high elevated place in the mountains of Ararat. Noah can't see down to the plains to see if if the land has dried out. And we find that, that it has. Ultimately, the journey has come to an end and there is a new creation waiting for Noah when they get out. A new world where he's basically a second Adam and the Lord treats him as such. He repeats the creation mandate that's given to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the world. There's an expectation that Noah and his family will take the place of Adam and Eve and their family. And in response to that, what does Noah do? He builds an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals, he offers them up as a sacrifice on the altar in worship. And in this, we're told that the Lord will never again curse the ground because of man, because man is evil constantly. It's his nature from his youth. And that doesn't seem to make any sense, does it? I will never again curse the ground because of man, because man is evil constantly. It sounds like it should be the very opposite of that. I will curse the ground because man is evil. And yet there is something in this sacrifice that signifies a change has taken place. The sacrifice Noah makes in that moment makes a difference to this whole story. As Moses is telling this to Israel and as their system of sacrifices given by God is lived out by them. In first the tabernacle and then ultimately the temple before Jesus comes. And then by Jesus himself, the point is clear. Through the sacrifice of what is clean, of what is pure, of what is holy by unclean sinful men, sin is dealt with and judgment is passed over. Now Israel knows this. They've just slaughtered spotless innocent lambs so that their people might be passed over by God's judgment on Egypt, the death of the firstborn that's led to Israel's freedom. And Moses is making it clear to Israel, judgment will come, but the Lord will save his people in the expectation that they will be His people before, during, and after that time of judgment. Innocent will die so that guilty will go free. And they will enter the promised land. Not simply so that they will be blessed by enjoying a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of plenty that they might receive all of its fullness. But so that they might dedicate themselves to the worship of the Lord who has led them by the hand out of Egypt. So hang on, persevere, stay faithful. The promised end is coming. The Lord is Accepting the sacrifice of one that is innocent for your sinful sake so that you can come to that promised place. So prepare yourselves for that day. The only right response to this is the worship of the Lord. And this is exactly what Noah understands. And Noah and his family come at the end of this time of judgment into this new creation, this promised land. And the Lord provides Everything that is necessary for that worship to take place. And the Lord is pleased with it. He delights in it. It satisfies him. And we find ultimately in our own lives, the same thing is borne out. That one who is innocent must die for our sake and when one who is innocent does die for our sake and our sins are placed upon Christ on the cross and he pays for them completely so that we are set free to inherit this amazing promised land that is to come, this future glory with God. We find the only fit response in receipt of that place in God's kingdom is worship. And it's astonishing for us to think about that, that the Lord provides everything we need in order for us to worship the Lord. He's already given us everything we needed in order to become his people in the first place. And yet when we worship him with the things he has given us, he is pleased with it. He delights in it. It satisfies him. And in turn, it satisfies us, taking us back to where we were at the beginning and the great Craving of mankind for something that will satisfy and fulfill. We find ultimately the only thing that satisfies and fulfills us is our taking our place in God's kingdom. Through the death of Jesus on our behalf. So that we might eternally, beginning now and continuing on into eternity, give out of ourselves everything we have that the Lord has already given us to worship him and glorify him for who he is and all that he has done. We find this begins now and carries on right into the future, after the final judgment of mankind, as we are born through that by Christ. As Peter says, that we are secure in Christ as Noah and his family were secured in the ark. Christ becomes our ark so that we might come in the end to worship the Lord in the beauty Of holiness. I'm sure in many ways we would rather the judgment sections of Scripture just weren't there. They sometimes make us feel uncomfortable. We struggle to explain them to our non-Christian friends and family. But it is only through these judgment passages that the full plans of God are laid bare for us to see. And it's only through God's judgment that sin will finally and fully be dealt with. And a new perfect world will be ushered in where there is nothing but joy-filled worship and glory. So don't shy away from these sections of Scripture. Use them as a means of encouragement to carry on. For although we will fail daily, although we will struggle moment by moment with all that goes on around us that distracts us from what the Lord is doing, the Lord is faithful. He sees us before judgment comes. He will save us through judgment. And he will lead us to worship after judgment is over in a future that is too glorious for us to comprehend. So be encouraged. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we come before you as your people. Lord, understanding and accepting that we are not in control of our own lives, of the world around us. Lord, we're reminded day by day as uh, this pandemic worsens, as it um has increasing impact on our society, on our country here. Lord, that, that ultimately we are not in control, but there is one who is. And Father, we thank you that you are the creator of all the universe. Lord, you have limitless power, complete understanding. And Lord, you call us into your presence and and anticipate that we will come and bring our praise and our worship but also our concerns our needs before you and you joyfully hear what we have to say as we come in faith in the name of our saviour and ask that you would bear us up because we are weak and finite and you are able So Lord God, we come before you as your people and in light of worsening news over this past week, ask that you would bless us. Give us, Lord, greater wisdom and understanding as we face these uncertain days. Lord, help us to remember that you are in control. Father, we pray for the people in our own uh, locale, those who may be struggling as a result of this illness directly, Lord, who are in hospital. Lord God, we pray that you would Uh, see them restored to health. And Heavenly Father, uh, over the course of this illness, that you would enable them to persevere. Lord God, we pray most of all for those who are affected by this, that they would hear the good news of salvation, that there is hope beyond the simple healing of their bodies. There is something so much more for them in Christ, if they would have him as their saviour. Lord God, we pray for those who are indirectly affected. Lord, we are all uh, in some ways, consigned to our homes unless we're uh, key workers, and so Lord, I pray that you would bless us, Lord, with this um, experience of isolation that is alien to us. We are made by you to be social beings, to be together, to interact with one another face to face, and it's not something we're able to do. And so we pray that you would bless us with a bit an ability to persevere through this difficult time. To Lord, accept our circumstance and yet, Lord, to find ways of connecting with one another, to bless each other, whether it's uh, over the phone, whether it's sending emails or letters, whether it's simple encouragements. Lord, it may seem small, but we pray that you would bless us as we reach out to one another and encourage each other. Heavenly Father, I pray especially for our church, Lord, that you would bless us, Together, that we would find ways of encouraging and equipping one another to build one another up as disciples of Jesus Christ, that we might grow in our faith and so be better able to help one another. Heavenly Father, we pray for the key workers um, in our congregation and in our community, and indeed across our nation, and ask that you would bless them. They must be tired, they must feel weary, Lord, and I know that um, many will feel unsafe. Lord, going into environments where it's known that people have uh, COVID-19 and being expected to work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you would impress upon them the significance of the work they do, regardless of whether it's um, being a, a doctor or a nurse in a hospital environment, or whether it's being a, a teacher or a nursery nurse looking after the children of those who uh, are engaged in the the. Um, direct care of those who are sick. Lord, whether it's delivery drivers, whether it's people staffing shops to make sure that we have food to eat, Lord God, I pray that you would bless them and that you would encourage them at this time. Keep them safe, Lord. Heavenly Father, we had news this week uh, of uh, our own Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, testing positive for coronavirus, as well as Prince Charles and a number of other uh, high-profile people in government. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, may they know your healing touch and may you restore them to strength. Lord, we, whatever our uh, political views are, Lord, understand that that we are all in this together. And Lord, it is no desire on our part that our our leaders should suffer uh, this illness. So Lord, I pray that you would bless Boris Johnson, that you would restore him to health quickly as well as other government ministers. Lord, I pray that you would be with uh, Nicola Sturgeon and those in the Scottish Parliament and Lord, bless them with wisdom, with a sense of perspective, with clarity, Lord, with an ability to see through all of the hype, Lord, that we are surrounded by through our media, Lord, that they might make right judgments and right decisions and Father, that they might lead us as a nation through this experience. Heavenly Father, we pray for the wider world and ask that you would be with those many nations who are struggling far more than we are. Lord, with those in Italy and with Spain. In Spain, Lord, I pray that you would build up the churches in these nations, that they would be able to bless and encourage, uh, Lord, as they are able to. Father, I pray again for wisdom for those governments, Lord, that they would see a way through to resolve this situation as quickly as possible. Father, I pray for the developing world that is yet to see much of the impact of this virus. Lord, we think of many places, particularly in Africa, where there are huge camps of refugees, vast slums, Lord, where people are not able to wash their hands. They're not able to get any kind of medical care, never mind the sort of intensive care that they will need if they do um, succumb to this illness. And so, Lord, I pray that you would protect and preserve those parts of the world lord may the developed world be able to offer help lord not patronizing but in sincerity seeking to um, to save a great many people that we don't know that we will never meet in this life simply because they are human beings as we are in need of help heavenly father we have such great need and so we ask as we come before you as a humble people today that you would hear our prayers Not because of our mightiness, not because of our worthiness, but because of the worthiness of our Lord and Saviour. Lord, it is in Jesus' name that we come before you today. Amen. Well, folks, as we head off into another uh, week of uncertainty, week of change, uh, and almost certainly some more uh, news that may cause us to struggle Go in the knowledge that the Lord goes with you. The Lord understands, he sees, he knows, and he will lead you through. Go in the confidence that the God of all creation is your God and Saviour. And so may you go in the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you.